Masaf. I'm a registered dietitian. I've been practicing for over 12 years now. I am extremely excited to be speaking tonight. I want you all to think about why did you decide to listen to this class? What's your why? You obviously have something going on with a child, whether the child's being picky eating or not eating well, or you just are not confident with how your child are eating is eating. There's a why to why you came in to listen to this class. I want to share with you what was my why, why my passion is in family nutrition and helping children and family and parents get on the right start of feeding their kids. I have four beautiful children, and with my first three children, I sailed through. I have great eaters. They were eating all the fruits and vegetables and proteins, all those foods that you would like your children to eat. And then came my fourth child, and all my knowledge and experience was really put to the test. I had a child who didn't like the basic child-friendly foods. He didn't like bread, and he didn't like yogurt. So there I found myself having to find alternatives, quick alternatives for my child to eat. And I was really getting nervous about his nutrition. You know, he wasn't eating enough of this or enough of that. And I started researching in great depth of the latest feeding methods for feeding children. Everything that I discuss, all my workshops, all my, all, my, all my talks are all based on Ellen Satter. She is a pioneer when it comes to childhood feeding. Her feeding method is actually the one that's endorsed by the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's a tried and true feeding techniques that really yield great results. So before we begin, I just wanted you to take a moment and think about your why. Why is it important for you that your child eats well? Are you nervous that they're not going to grow? Are they faltering off their growth curves and your pediatrician is concerned? Is your child overweight and you're concerned that their eating is, is getting out of control? Or are you nervous that your child might might call, you know develop some sort of get sick or disease as they get older because of their poor, poor nutrition. So I just want you to know where it's coming from when we address everything. And I think all moms, all parents uh, want their child to be healthy because ultimately you want to know that they're going to live well and live at, live at their fullest and have energy and be able to, to run around and play and, and feel good. My goal is I want you to learn to feel less stressed out and more confident about feeding your child. I want you to be able to cook one meal for your entire family and not worry about who's eating what. There's absolutely no reason you should be stressing and cooking five different meals a night for your family. I talk a lot about raising a good eater and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. When I use the term good eater, I mean I want a child who feels good about eating. It doesn't mean I want a good dieter. I'm not using the word diet. I will never use the word diet with children. I want a child who can learn to like a new or unfamiliar food and is not grossed out by that food and says yuck and ew when that food is presented. And I want a child who's going to go by the feeling of hunger and fullness and understand that. And I also want a child who's going to be able to sit down at the family table and enjoy being there. There's no reason why a child should not enjoy sitting down with their family unless that environment has been made so negative and filled with pressure and the child no longer wants to be sitting there. There's a very big difference when I speak of the word eating 
And when I speak of the word feeding, eating has to do with a preference. I like a food or I don't like a food. I have a certain habit of eating when I like to eat. Um, it's my attitude on foods and it's my knowledge of food and it's the physical aspect of putting food into my mouth. Feeding is about the connection between ourselves and our children. Feeding is about trusting our children and whether we control or provide or neglect them when they come to feeding. Nutrition is important, but it doesn't mean taking the fun and of enjoyment of, of, eat, of meals. I don't feed my children a perfect meal every single night. I am not a dietitian who's going to tell you your child must be eating grilled salmon with steamed broccoli and a side of quinoa. That couldn't be farther from what I do. I want you as a parent to feel confident about your food so that you can feel confident about the meals you prepare. And that might mean that grilled salmon and that broccoli on the side, but it also might mean the balance of maybe chicken nuggets and french fries one night. And it's trusting you're, trusting that you're not failing as a parent when you do that, but to trust that your child is learning how to eat well. Uh, the whole basis of feeding your children is based on trust. And when I had my first workshop and I was talking about this, one of the moms in the group said to me, I don't understand, Norma. You mean you just want me to trust my child? And that's exactly what I want to, what I want to prove to you tonight, that you can trust your child to eat and to eat right for them. I'm going to give you a little bit of research on food acceptance and children. Earliest research was done by a physician called Clara Davis. At the time, pediatricians used to dictate rigid feeding schedules with exact amount and type and feeding frequency. Dr. Davis decided to challenge that, and over the course of 6 to 12 months, Dr. Davis and her team offered babies infant trays with a variety of neutral, healthy food. What was so interesting that one of the children was a vitamin D deficient. So on the tray where they served the children the food, one of the choices was cod liver oil. And if any of you um, know that cod liver oil was often forced down children's throats, the moms used to feed it to their children, a spoon of cod liver oil every morning, and it was to prevent vitamin D deficiency. Vitamin D deficient, deficiency can lead to something called rickets, which is a, a bone disease. So now all of our food has it, and we're very conscious of vitamin D, but Going back to the story, so the team was feeding the children. They would present the food on the tray, and the child had the option of what they wanted to eat or not. And one of the children who was vitamin D deficient was offered this cod liver oil, and he was eating it. He would dip his fingers into it, and he would eat the cod liver oil. And let me tell you, it does not taste good. But interestingly enough, he stopped consuming it when his deficiency was correct, corrected, even though it was still offered the child stopped taking it. So this study showed that the infants could be healthy and grow on self-selected diet. I, I was blown away by this research. There was another, another study done with infants who were being bottle fed. And we've all, I think I can safely say, most parents want to try to get their children to sleep through the night pretty early on. So we try to, you know, get them to drink more before bedtime so they can, you know, get through the night and we could have a smoother night. Interestingly enough, with these children, when they tried to try to concentrate the formula, the child rejected the food. And 
they, not so much that they rejected it, but they would still eat the same amount that they were, they ate less because it was concentrated. And the same happened on the opposite. When they diluted the formula, the child drank more. So again, you're seeing that the, the caloric intake, the child was adjusting according to what they need. So even though the parent was trying to impose more calories on the child, the child was refusing it. So those are two studies that can give you the basis that a child knows how much they need. I always tell, tell parents, only a child knows how much they need. They have certain things are always going to drive a child to eat. And children are born with these drives. And it's the parent's job to preserve these drives. So let's talk about it a little bit. What drives your child to eat? So the first thing is hunger. Hunger is our body's naturally, natural ability to regulate food intake so that you can grow in a way that's right for you. It's based on physiological processes like your heartbeat, your metabolism, your blood circulation, your body chemistry, like your temperature, and it also has to do with your physical activity levels. These are what I like to call their invisible factors that are going to influence your child's energy needs, and therefore, it's going to, it's going to control their hunger and survival. So going back to that study about the, in, the infants with the concentrated formula or the diluted formula, that's proving this. Another study I'm going to give you that also proves this, that they try to feed preschoolers a snack before their meal. What they show that if they fed a snack before the meal, most children ate less during the meal. So again, this is on average, most children ate less. So it's showing that children will adjust their intake according to their hunger. Another one of these innate drives that children have is an appetite. Children's appetites vary. And why is that important? Because that's going to ensure nutritional adequacy. Children's appetite will drive them to eat high protein foods one day and high carb meals for days. And it, doesn't, it does not have to be a variety every day, but rather variety over the course of the weeks. I have moms that tell me, what should I do? My child only eats carbs or my child does not eat protein. And I always tell them, I said, you are not inside your child's body. Only your child knows what's right for them. It's like Tammy Sassoon. I'm going to reference her because she taught me something to say, you are not inside your child's head. And you don't know exactly what's going on and what they're thinking. And the same thing when it comes to appetite. You do not know what's going on inside their body. And their body might be craving a high carbs because that's what they need at that time. And trust me, the nutrition that goes in in one day is not going to affect your child's life. It's over the course of weeks, your child's nutrition, that's going to affect their nutritional status. So it's okay if they're heavy on the carbs here and lower on the protein. It eventually does balance out. Another important factor that drives a child to eat is pleasure. Children prefer to eat foods that taste good. If I am just steaming broccoli and serving it in front of my child, that's a very bland food. It's also very bitter for young children who have their palates is just developing. So it's a very bitter taste. Would you think about yourself if there's a food that you enjoy, like that broccoli? Would you just like it steamed or maybe you like it a little bit, you know, sauteed with some garlic? That's gonna, that's gonna taste very different. I once went into someone's home to do a feeding evaluation for a child and she was complaining her child didn't like the dinner. Mind you, 
from my perspective, what I saw. She was serving her child salmon. That salmon was cold. It was not heated up. Personally, I don't think that's appealing. So how did the child view it? A cold piece of fish that was sitting on the plate for, for, a, for a while already. So again, think about pleasure. Food tastes good for you. It's going to taste good for your children. You can't just make it a bland food. As they grow up, they need more flavors to make it more pleasurable. And the last thing is children are social creatures. They enjoy being at family meals. It is so important for a child to sit down at the table with the family and eat. It's, it's fostering that social connection that every human being has. So just to review, we have a few things that drive children to eat, and it's our job as a parent to preserve these drives. That's the drive for hunger, the drive for appetite, the drive for pleasure, and the drive for social connections. And I also want to add in that our gut, our gut microbiome, all these, it's an invisible influencer, and it's a, it's, it affects our appetite, our mood, our stress level, and it's also an, it's, it also affects how a child eats. Okay, let's, let's give a scenario. You have a four-year-old boy, and you want to teach him how to bat, how to, how to bat a baseball. So usually the father will take charge of this and he'll go out to a store and buy that big fat, you know, that big fat yellow bat that's so, you know, it's a lightweight and it's easy to hit and it has a bigger surface area. So it's going to make it easier for the child to hit. You're also going to buy, you're not going to go and buy that hard baseball. You're going to buy that soft plastic, softer plastic ball. And then the dad's going to come and he's going to help the son position himself correctly, right? He's going to adjust his feet and he's going to adjust his arm so that it's at the right position so that he'll be able to swing at the ball. And then the father's going to not throw him a fastball, I'm sure. He's going to do an underhand, a gentle underhand throw to his son because he's going to want his son to hit the ball. And by the son hitting the ball, his child is going to feel really good. He's going to feel really proud of himself that he was able to do it. And then I'm sure that father is going to continue to practice with his son over and over again and give him a chance to really get good at it. So just like learning to bat is a skill, I want you to start looking at eating as a skill. You cannot expect a child to just know how to eat the right foods. The right environment has to be set up so that your child will have the ability to make those good choices and learn how to eat. Your job as a parent is not to make sure your kids eat or see how much your, how much your kids eat. Your job is to put the food on the table. After that, they are the ones who are going to decide how much to eat. You don't have to take responsibility for how your child's body turns out. This is up to them and Mother Nature. You're supposed to do your job with feeding and the rest is up to them. I want you to start, the focus of this is on parenting and feeding practices instead of trying to fix your child. There's nothing wrong with your child. There's so many moms who come to me and ask me, how do I get my child to eat? And I tell them that's not your job. Your job is to buy the food. 
Your job is to make that nutritious meal. Your job is to offer them a variety of food and balance out those meals. And it's not forbidding them of those foods if we want to call them, you know, snack foods or junk foods. It's giving them a nice amount of everything so that they feel comfortable around foods. This is also known, I want you to to know, this is called Division of Responsibility, and it was patented by, by Ellen Satter. And it says that the parent is responsible for what, where, and when, and the child is responsible for if and how much. So let's, I want to dig deeper into that so you can really understand it. And this is the basis for everything I do, whether it's one-on-one or in my workshops or small group settings. This is the foundation for understanding um, how to feed your kids well. So what this means is as a parent, you're responsible for what you serve your children. You're responsible for deciding what you're putting on the table. So I decide that I'm going to cook grilled chicken today and I'm going to have a salad with wraps on the side and some yummy dressing that I made and I'm also going to serve watermelon um, for dessert. So I decided what's going to be on the table. I decided what's for dinner. I'm going to decide that dinner is at 6 p.m. and we only eat at the dinner table. So that's the what, the where, and the when. If it's not at the dinner table, they can eat. And if it's not time to eat, they can eat. And I want you all to try to think of a schedule that would work for you. And this is one of the hardest parts that moms have in setting a schedule. It doesn't have to be a set, you know, very rigid schedule, but most kids, you know, the younger kids need to eat around every, you know, two to three hours. The older kids can go three to four hours. And it's your responsibility to provide that food. Your parent, your children have to trust you that you will be feeding them at those times. They will depend on you. And they're going to trust you that you're very serious about that. Um, if you need it, you know, some people have a no kitchen policy. You know, kitchen is closed policy. If it's not time to eat, the kitchen is closed. It works well. But again, you're the one who's deciding what. It might be cookies one day. It might be, you know, apples the next day. But you're deciding what's going down for a snack. And you're deciding what's going down for a meal. Where it's served and when it's served. Your child's job is to decide if they want to eat it and how much. And that's it. It's the, it's the, it sounds so simple. And I... It is simple, but when it's actually put into practice, it gets a little bit complicated because I find that I find that we're in a generation where parenting has become a little bit more difficult and no one looks at feeding kids as parenting. You expect your child to just listen and eat. But at the same time, we're in a generation where we're giving our children more choices and more authority in areas that is not for not meant for them to have authority, such as you know, what do they want to have for dinner? How many times have I heard a mom ask her child, what do you want me to make for dinner? And I always tell them, I said, they're not, the young kids especially, you know, they're not capable of making that decision. That's not their job. It's your job to decide. As kids get older, you can take their input. My son happens to love penne vodka and I'll ask him, sweetie, what's your favorite meal? What do you want to, you know, I'll, I'll put it into the rotation. But I decide when it goes into the rotation. He's not dictating to me what is being served for dinner. And he learns that sometimes it's going to be his favorite food. 
And sometimes it's not going to be his favorite food, and that's okay. Um, so what's going to happen when you first apply this division of responsibility? It's very normal for feeding to get worse before it gets better. Some kids really have a hard time. with It's a very big adjustment that they can't eat anytime they want. Children will test the rules, and the biggest thing is that the parent has to be consistent. It's a must. The parent must be consistent and stick to their guns and really pull through with this because that's the only way it's going to work. The children will learn that the parent is serious and this is how things are going to work from now on. So we're going to start with the what of the division responsibility. You are the gatekeeper. That's how I like to think about it. You decide what's acceptable to bring into your home. You need to provide food that is developmentally and nutritionally appropriate. So depending on the age of your children, you'll adjust the textures, um, you know, if you have, it needs a little bit nutrition knowledge that goes into that of the food groups, but rule of thumb is you always make sure that every meal has hits at least three of the, three of the food groups. So always, you know, my dinner, breakfast, lunch is always going to include mostly a protein, a carb, and a fruit or a vegetable. I cook with fat, so that helps, you know, with oils, that helps my food taste good. After that, you're going to let your child pick and choose. There is no substitute. You're always going to offer a safe food on the, on the table, but don't cater. When you cater, basically you're showing your child you think they're incapable of learning. And that goes back to trust. You want to show your child, I trust you. I trust that you can learn to eat and you can eat in a, in a way that's right for you. Um, a lot of times bread is a good safe food. If you always want to serve bread on the table and trust me, even if you have a child who loves bread, unlike mine, who that was not my safe food, but even if you have a child who loves bread, they they will eventually tire out of it and start to venture out. But you have to be doing your job of absolutely no pressure. And we'll talk about pressure at a later time, of all the different forms of pressure, both positive and negative, that can be sabotaging your progress. So you let your child pick and choose and you don't substitute. You're not a short order cook. The meal is the meal. You're going to offer everything at the same time. Everything comes out onto the table, family style. Everyone sees the food. We're not hiding any vegetables. It's one thing if you're trying to sneak in, you know, if you're trying to sneak in a vegetable, you're not teaching the child anything about that vegetable. They don't, if you're sneaking spinach into that smoothie, the child will still adamantly, you know, say that they don't like spinach. You didn't teach them to like the food. So I don't, I don't push hiding vegetables. If you want to put something in, let them know. Many times I'll make something and then I'll ask, you know, my son, oh, did you like that? Oh, this is what I did. This is what's in it. And, you know, it's like a light bulb moment. He'll be like, oh, I guess I like that food. Um, you don't have to make your child finish their vegetables before getting more of anything. So if you serve noodles and he wants, you know, more noodles, there's no saying you need to finish your broccoli before I can give you more noodles. And even if they still have noodles on their plate and they ask for more noodles, they still can get more. There is some plate waste that goes on in the beginning initially, but eventually it goes away. Um, I want you to make the changes one at a time. Uh, add on instead of taking away. So pick one, one area that you feel like you could work on and once you have that, then you move on to the next step. That will make it much easier. During meals, you need to offer a variety of foods at the family meal. Like I said, you include a protein, a carb, a fat, 
And over time, that variety is going to help the child learn to accept a range of flavors and tastes and textures. The biggest thing here is that you are trusting your child to learn to eat the family foods. You're showing them you are capable of eating the same foods as me, and I don't have to cook separately for you. I trust you. The only thing that does get limited is desserts, anything you want to call a dessert food. So if you, most people think of, you know, a cake, cookies, if you're labeling something a dessert, that's something you can limit to one serving. It's the exception to the rule. We don't limit anything else. Um, very simply because we're, we're humans and most people will crave that high sugar, high fat food. It's, that's fighting a little bit against mother nature. So that does need a limit. And you're going to limit milk. If your child is a child who will drink milk, if you have a young toddler who's drinking milk all the time, you do want to limit the milk to either at the meals or during snack time so that it doesn't interfere with learning to like solid foods. There are going to be a lot of challenges that come up with this. It's a work in progress. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, um, but, but, it, but it, will, it will work. Um, an example, I have someone who comes and says, but my child won't eat anything, okay? That only becomes a problem when the parent buys into their child's inability to learn to like new foods. By continuing to offer the variety and making mealtimes enjoyable, your child will learn that you think they're capable. And again, it's going back to the trust model. If, if the child can think, hey, my mom really thinks I'm capable, he's going he's to come around, Another issue that sometimes comes up is your child might beg for sweets. You might be at a grocery store or between meals. Um, you simply can say, hey, that's not on my list right now, but we could put it on a list you know, for next time. You might offer it at a snack time, but if it's not a meal time, you can simply say, it's not, it's not time to eat. If you have a child who, who says, I don't like anything you cooked, you simply can say the cook decides on the menu. I'm I don't cater, but I'm considerate. There's always going to be something on the table that everybody likes, and that's what that's why you could feel calm, you know your child's not going to starve. You could say there's if they're truly hungry, there is something on the table that they'll that they'll eat. And if you have trouble preparing healthy meals, you know go one step at a time. It's even fast food, it's still more important to sit down and eat with your children than not cook at all. So don't worry. Sometimes there might be a fast food and sometimes you might have more time to actually prepare, you know, put more thought into the meal. But meals are meals. And as long as they happen with the family, that's what we want. So that was the what of, of division responsibility. The when is the parent, like we said, schedules the time for meals and snack. There's no food handouts between meal times. The only, the only thing that's allowed between meals and snack times is water. And I also do allow fruits and vegetables. They're freebies in my household. If a child is truly hungry, they can help themselves to a fruit or a vegetable. But the parent takes the lead. Um, so you could say breakfast is in five minutes. You're letting them know. You're giving them a heads up. It's almost time for the meal, whether it's breakfast or dinner. I do not want you to say, what do you want to eat for breakfast? That's an open-ended question. Or are you hungry? Another open-ended question where you're just asking, you're, you're setting yourself up over there. The child's not capable of making that decision. When it's time to eat, it's time to eat. You can, they can choose whether they want to eat or not. The next part was the where. Why is it so important that where the child eats? 
so many times I've been to families' homes and the child is sitting in front of the TV on a couch mindlessly eating their food or they're playing on an iPad while eating or they're on a phone while eating. What you're teaching a child is that eating is not important. What we do want to teach a child is they need to pay attention to eating. So by an adult and the adults and the children eating together as a family that helps, we're going to turn off all screens during meals and snack times. And trust me, we do this in my in my household. We have a bin where everyone they come home from school or camp or from their long day and everything goes into that bin, even mine and my husband's and we we talk to each other. There's no distractions and we're paying attention. I pay attention to my food, my kids are paying attention to their food. And we're talking. We only eat food in a designated area. We eat at the, at the, at the dining room tables where meals go, go down. Of course, there's always going to be exceptions where we'll say you'll have a movie night and something special where we'll put out a spread by the, you know, in a different room. But those are the exceptions to the rule. And just serving food while a child is playing on a device is just a disservice to the child and to the feeding relationship. It doesn't allow the child to tune into eating. Your child's going to learn how to graze. And humans are not grazers, I always say. Cows are. And humans need routine. We can't just be eating all day long. And when, we, when we're eating, it's very important as an adult to pay attention to your food. So I would think that's what we all want for our children, that we want them to learn to pay attention to the food and to respect your body. And just to let you know, this division of responsibility can be applied you know, as early as infancy and it works through adolescence. It's never too early or too late to put this into effect. The only difference is when an infant up until age six months, generally it's on-demand feeding is recommended, and after that we start to impose some sort of schedule. And as children grow older, you can start to explain to them how it works, and they're much more receptive to it. My my older boys, I have twins who are almost 14, and I'll give you a, a funny story that one of my sons came to me, he said, Ma, you know, it's the summer, I, you know, our schedule is a little bit off, I come home, you made dinner, then I go to a friend's house, and there's food again, and then I go to class, and there's food again, and it's really hard, Ma, he's like, there's food everywhere, and I simply said, turned around to him, I said, yeah, I know, it's tough, I said, but, I said, very, I said, sweetie, if you're hungry, eat, and if you're not hungry, don't, I said, but respect your body, and he really can, can understand what it means to respect your body, because he knows the feeling when you overstuff yourself, you don't feel so great. So I simply, I didn't tell him, oh, the fried chicken is not good and it's fattening and, you know, it's junk and you don't need it. But I put it into perspective for him as respect your body. And that's what I want you to, to be in the back of your head. That's what we're trying to teach our children. So we did what the parent's role is. So I just want to discuss what the child's role is. The child's role is how much and whether to eat. They're going to determine how much to eat without any force, no encouragement. They're allowed to eat whatever amount they want to eat. And trust me, that will vary from day to day and meal to meal. They may choose to eat a lot at one meal and none at the other. And that's okay. The child will learn to eat at their own pace. Some challenges that come up, some parents are worried my child's not going to eat enough. Remember, there are many internal things that regulate appetite. We spoke about them in the beginning, and we don't know what's going on in their bodies. Only they know. There's some children who absolutely refuse vegetables. 
unless they're forced. So your job is just to serve the vegetables and be a role model of eating them. You're supposed to make sure family mealtime is pleasant. There's no rules. There's no pressure about eating vegetables. And your child will surprise you one day. There's some children who are only going to want to eat, only want to eat, you know, a certain food. I want you to, we might need to dig a little deeper and see, you know, if there's a long-standing issue with the feeding relationship. Sometimes something, there could be some sort of pressure going on and we're stuck in that. Um, most feeding challenges, if you switch your focus to the parent's responsibility, which you do have control over, and you don't have control over your child's part, most feeding challenges can be resolved if you can see the line. So what I, what I urge you now, after, we, you know, after everything I spoke about, if you can start to assess your own feeding relationship with your children, and you know your role and what your child's role and role is. And if you can identify where you're stepping over into your child's domain, or if you're allowing your child to step over into your domain, such as, such as telling you what to make for dinner or where they want to eat or that they want to have the TV on, insisting that they want to have the TV on, they're crossing into your domain. So step one I want you to ident- to start implementing the division of responsibility, whatever you feel comfortable with, one step at a time. And trust me that you can learn to trust your children to eat in a way that's right for them. I want to say thank you for allowing me to speak tonight and have a great night.